Well, we have the privilege now of going to God's word and having God speak to us on this grand subject of the resurrection of his son Jesus. And so I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to be looking together this morning at verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse three. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Father, we... Thank you for your word. We know that it has the power to transform our lives. And uh, this seems to be a very timely text for us today in light of our present circumstances. And so I pray that your word would be particularly powerful in our lives today, that you would illuminate our minds, help us to understand what Peter meant by what he said here, and most of all, how it applies to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, death is something that we don't like to talk about, we don't like to think about. In fact, it's a topic that most of us try to avoid and even ignore. But then death has its way of suddenly barging into our lives as an unexpected intruder and we're forced to deal with it as best we can. The coronavirus pandemic is the most recent intrusion into our lives and it has exposed mankind's mortality and heightened people's fear of death all over the world. The fact that we're all going to die someday is hard to deny, it's hard to ignore when all we hear about are ventilators and vaccines and the growing number of fatalities as a result of this virus and all we see are images of people wearing surgical masks and gloves and hazmat suits and sick patients being wheeled around on hospital gurneys. It's in our face. And sadly, these things were never meant to be this way. You see, when God created the world, he made it a perfect paradise where there was no such thing as disease or pain or sorrow or death. 
after creating Adam and Eve, God placed them in the Garden of Eden and warned them to, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or they would surely die. And God's arch enemy, Satan, disguised himself as a serpent and deceived Eve into questioning God's word and convinced her she wouldn't die if she ate from that banned tree. And so she ate from it along with her husband, Adam. And the moment they did, the moment they bit into that forbidden fruit, sin's curse fell on that rebellious couple along with all mankind who would descend from them and the earth itself was even cursed by sin. And as a result of sin's curse, every one of us has had to learn to live with pain and sorrow and disease and death. God had originally designed that first man and woman to live forever. But when they sinned, death entered into the world and their eternal souls were instantly separated from God and their once ageless bodies immediately began to experience the effects of decay and death. And since we all sin as well, we're all born spiritually separated from God and we are all destined to die physically. The unsettling Reality is that apart from divine intervention, we are merely a bunch of dying people on a dying planet. Someone said it this way, the whole world is a hospital and every person is a terminal patient. What we call living can be just as accurately called dying. In other words, I'm standing here right now dying and you're sitting there right now in your homes dying it's only a matter of time until over death overtakes all of us and none of us knows when it will happen or how it will happen the bible simply says this in hebrews 9:27 it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. Now as if the surety and finality of death were bad enough, in the meantime, while we're waiting to die, we have to deal with all sorts of pain and suffering during our lifetimes. And from a purely human perspective, it appears that we have been consigned to a sad, miserable, depressing existence. But thankfully, there's more to life than what our eyes can see. According to the Apostle Peter, there is someone we cannot see. But if we love him and believe in him, even though we don't see him, we can be rescued from a hopeless life. In this text, Peter explained how God has mercifully made a way for dying people on a dying planet to be reborn through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can live in heaven someday forever when we die. And this is what gives us 
hope in the meantime. When we face the trials and tribulations and pain and sorrow of this life. Few Christians have lived in tougher times than those that Peter was writing to in this letter. These faithful saints were being brutally mistreated, even killed for their commitment to follow Christ. The madman Nero was ruling the world at the time and he was notorious for dousing Christians in pitch and using them as human tiki torches to light up his garden parties. And so Peter's letter was mainly intended to provide hope for these these persecuted believers. And in these opening lines, he reminded them of all that they had to be thankful for as a result of their salvation in Christ. Every Christian has a a living hope that is based on our living Savior who has saved us from death and hell and secured for us a lasting inheritance in heaven. And so Peter was encouraging his readers in the midst of, of the pain of life to remember that life won't always be this way, that, that this earth is not our home. And so focusing on our future hope in heaven enables us to rejoice in the midst of our present grief here on earth. The key to, to coping with the temporal burdens of this life is remembering our eternal blessings in the life to come. And so in these verses, verses three through nine, Peter explains seven blessings that every Christian enjoys and or will enjoy that should give us hope while enduring life and when experiencing death. Another way you could look at these verses is seven reasons we can smile when we're suffering. And in light of our present situation, my prayer today is that God would take his hand to your chin, if you will, and gently lift your face toward heaven so that you can see that what you're going through doesn't even begin to compare to what you have waiting for you. And so let's, let's look at these seven blessings that we as believers enjoy or seven reasons that we can smile while we suffer here on this earth. Number one, the first blessing, is that we've been regenerated by a merciful God. We have been regenerated by a merciful God. Notice how Peter begins this section. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That word blessed was a a common expression used in both the Old and New Testaments to give praise to God for who he is and what he has done. And here Peter was praising God as the author of salvation. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he personalized the intimate relationship that believers have with God the Father through our connection with his son Jesus. Which is especially encouraging for us Christians to remember in times of suffering. 
Notice he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. And here Peter revealed what what motivated God to deliver us from sin's curse. It wasn't who we are or what we have done. It was actually in spite of who we are and in spite of what we've done. All of us deserve to die and go to hell because of our sinful rebellion against God, but God in his great mercy looked down on our helpless, hopeless condition and chose to spare us from experiencing his wrath. In other words, he didn't give us what we deserve, that's mercy. And it was because of that great mercy he he caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. That's an interesting expression, to be born again. Well, it's referring to how all of us are spiritually dead because of our sins and are by nature objects of God's wrath and how God, being rich in his mercy, regenerates us. He breathes new life into us. He brings us back to life, if you will, He causes us to be reborn spiritually by the work of his spirit through his word. Peter would go on to mention the the role that the word of God plays in our salvation in the same chapter in verse 23. Look ahead and read it with me. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. Peter's point here is that that none of us can get to heaven by being a good person or by going to church or by giving to charity or by trying harder or by doing better and crossing our fingers and hoping that God will someday overlook our sins and shortcomings. Heaven is reserved for those who realize that they will never be able to get there on their own by their own efforts. They realize that they'll never be good enough and the only way they will go to heaven is if God grants them new life. God causes them to be born again. And so while the Bible makes it clear that there is nothing we can do to earn heaven, it does say that God grants new life to those who repent of their sin and who receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, believing that through the life he lived and the death that he died, he accomplished all that needed to be done so that we could be forgiven for our sin. And so the first reason we can smile today The first blessing that we all enjoy as believers is that we've been regenerated by a merciful God. The second blessing is that we have a living hope based on a living Savior. We have a living hope based on a living Savior. Notice again verse one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, here it is, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That word hope in the Bible is not the same word hope that we use all the time in our day-to-day lives. We, we say things like, well, I hope the weather is nice today or I, I hope everything goes well. 
these are simply ways for us to say, well, I hope so. Well, this is not a hope so. This is, a, this is an eager anticipation. This is a confident assurance that God's promises will come true. And in this case, Peter was saying that because we've been born again, we have the confidence that our sin is forgiven and that we have the assurance that we will go to heaven when we die. And it's not just a hope so. The reason we can be so sure of this is God raised Jesus from the dead, which proved that he accepted his work on our behalf. Notice he says we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our salvation and it is the foundation of this living hope. All of God's promises regarding our salvation are confirmed by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, which proved that he had satisfied God's wrath and conquered death and hell. Again, look ahead to verse 18 here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice that he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so based on Christ's resurrection, we can know for sure that we will experience life after death. Really, we're just taking Christ at his word. Jesus said in John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's a reason to smile this morning. Well, there's a third reason to smile. There's a a third blessing that we enjoy as believers, and that is that we have a guaranteed inheritance reserved for us in heaven. We have a guaranteed inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Notice verse four. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That word inheritance is the same word that was used in the Septuagint to refer to Israel's inheritance um, of the promised land. And here Peter used the word to describe all that we will enjoy in our eternal home in heaven. And notice that the inheritance that we're going to receive is is unlike any earthly inheritance. In fact, it was so extraordinary there, there were no words to describe it. And rather than trying to explain what our inheritance in heaven will be like, Peter resorted to explaining what it won't be like. And so he used three words to describe our heavenly inheritance. Notice he said there in verse four that it's first of all imperishable. In other words, it can't be destroyed. It's death proof. 
not only is it imperishable, it's secondly undefiled. It's undefiled. In other words, it can never be corrupted. It's, it's sin-proof. And then thirdly, it will, it will not fade away. In other words, it won't ever be dimmed or diminished. It's, it's time-proof. I think you would agree that, that none of these things are true of any earthly inheritance that we may have received or might receive in the future. Earthly inheritances are uncertain because they're subject to change and loss. They, they could get burned up or stolen. They could be contested by relatives or legal authorities. Their values could fluctuate based on the economy and the stock market. But our heavenly inheritance is impervious to, to any of these things. It, it is permanent, it's unchanging, and it's kept totally secure in the vault of heaven until we get there. Peter said it's reserved in heaven for you. And there is no safer place in the universe than heaven. It's the securest place of all. And God himself is guarding and protecting our inheritance. That's something to smile about today. But there's something else that should cause us to smile. Another blessing that we have as believers is that we have ongoing protection by an all-powerful God. We have ongoing protection by an all-powerful God. Notice verse five. He says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is our inheritance protected, but so are we. And in the same way God protects and preserves our inheritance in heaven for us, he also protects and preserves us down here to make sure we end up getting there so that we can enjoy it. What a comfort, what an encouragement to know that the all-powerful God of the universe is watching over us to make sure that nothing or no one harms us or destroys us. We're completely safe in the midst of the pain and the suffering, no matter how chronic or acute it may be. No disorder, no defect, no disease, not even death can hinder or remove God's hand of protection in our lives. And as part of God's preserving grace in our lives, he, he grants us the faith to persevere through the trials and tribulations of life that threaten to pull us away from him. And we're ultimately kept safe and secure in Christ by the faith and the strength that God provides us. And no one who is truly saved will ever fall away from the Lord permanently, nor will they ever lose their salvation. Notice he said there, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter was referring to salvation here in the future tense. We enjoy salvation now for sure. We enjoy salvation from 
the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we will experience salvation in the future from the presence of sin at the return of Christ when our bodies will be ultimately changed and glorified and will be forever free from sin and suffering and death. But until that glorious day, our faith will continually be tested and tempered by all sorts of temptations and trials. Which gives us another reason to smile. There's a fifth blessing here that Peter mentions and that is that we have a proven, purified faith as a result of trials. We have a proven, purified faith as a result of trials. Notice verse six, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says in this you greatly rejoice. And Peter pointed out here the the critical connection between a believer's future hope and their present trials and struggles. In light of what we have to look forward to in heaven, we, we can greatly rejoice no matter what we're experiencing here on earth. And based on our heavenly inheritance, nothing we face here on this earthly, or in this earthly life should ever diminish or steal our joy. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Again, Peter was writing to believers who'd been dispersed from their homes and were being harshly and unjustly treated for their faith in Christ. And Peter encouraged them not to let their difficult circumstances rob them of their joy, but to remember that whatever they had to temporarily endure in this world was nothing compared to what they would eternally enjoy in the world to come. Paul said something similar in, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. He reminds us that we're children of God, and as such, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He said something similar in his second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 excuse me, chapter four, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So again, regardless of what we face in life, we can rejoice knowing that it cannot keep us from our heavenly inheritance. Another reason to rejoice is knowing that earthly trials serve an eternal purpose. In other words, God's always up to something good. 
even in the worst things that we have to deal with in life. What is that eternal purpose? What is that good? Notice verse seven, so that the proof of your faith, one of the purposes of trials is to test the genuineness of your faith in Jesus. And two times in verse seven here, Paul or excuse me, Peter used the, the Greek word dakamazo, which refers to testing or refining metals. And just like gold and, and, and steel refineries operate in our day, back then metal, metals would be subjected to intense heat to, to expose any weakness and to make sure that they were, they were pure and they would not falter or crack. And in a similar way, what Peter is saying is that God subjects all sorts or, or uh, subjects all of us to, to, to all sorts of fiery trials for the purpose of seeing if our faith is real. And those of us who have genuine faith will not fall away regardless of whatever trial, whatever suffering that God ordains for our lives. Warren Wiersbe said it well. He said, quote, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Job is a great example of someone whose faith was tested. And in his words, Job 23.10, he said, when he has tried me, when God has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Peter may have had Job's word in his, mind, in his mind as he penned verse seven because he says that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire. As believers, we may undergo severe testing, but instead of destroying our faith, it deepens our faith, it strengthens our faith, it purifies our faith. In fact, just turn a few pages to the right to the end of this first letter that Peter wrote in chapter five, verse 10. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There's a reason why we're going through all that we're going through. There's a reason why you're going through all that you're going through. It's to strengthen you. It's to establish you. That old hymn, How Firm a Foundation, says it well. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. You know this to be true, right? Gold is often heated with fire to remove its impurities. And in like fashion, God often heats up our lives, he uses trials and tribulations to remove the impurities of this world from our lives so that we're more fit for heaven. 
Chuck Swindoll suggests that the variety of trials that we face in our lives are like different temperature settings on God's furnace. And these settings are adjusted by God himself in order to burn sin from our lives, to purify us, to, to grow us and mature us and conform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I found it interesting that the Near Eastern goldsmiths that Peter was referring to here would keep gold in the furnace until they could see their face reflected in it. And then they knew it was ready. And I think in a similar way, our Lord keeps us in the furnace until he sees the image of his son reflected in our lives. And the more we reflect Jesus, the more praise, the more honor, the more glory that we bring to him now and when he comes back to get us. Notice what he goes on to say at the end of verse seven, that our faith is being tested, being proven by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's referring to when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he'll reward every true believer, especially those whose faith was tested by unimaginable, unexplicable trials. Wayne Grudem wrote this, he said, God will commend those who trusted him in a hardship even though they could not see the reason for it. They trusted him simply because he was their God and they knew him to be worthy of trust. And then he said this, it is in times when the reason for hardship cannot be seen that trust in God alone seems to become most pure and precious in his sight. Such faith God will not forget. What a smile that should bring to our face tonight, or this morning I should say, that we have a proven, purified faith as a result of our trials. But there's still more. There's another blessing here for us as believers to enjoy. And that is this, that we have an invisible, inexpressible relationship with Jesus. We have an invisible, inexpressible relationship with Jesus. Notice verse eight. And though you have not seen him, him is Jesus Christ who he just referenced there, the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ and though you have not seen him, though you've not seen Jesus Christ, you love him. Unlike Peter, the, the people he was writing to had, had no personal contact with Jesus while he was living and ministering here on earth, and yet Peter walked and talked with Jesus, but his readers were a generation removed from Christ, and yet even so, they loved him dearly, they trusted him completely, which is also what Christians today are called to do. Notice he says, and though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him. 
Listen, it's not easy to, to place your faith in someone and depend on someone you've never met, let alone never seen. That was Thomas's problem. We read about him earlier in the service, doubting Thomas as we know him today. And he said, hey, unless I see it with my own eyes, I ain't gonna believe it. And so once he saw Jesus and was able to, well, he didn't even have to put his hands uh, in the wounds. He said, hey, I believe. That's enough just to see you. And Jesus responded again, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Guess what? That was a reference to us today. We've never seen with our literal eyes the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we believe in him. And even though we can't see him, we know he's right beside us in the midst of every trial that we go through. I love that story in the Old Testament of Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace and he said to the guys who were looking on, he said, hey, I thought we threw three guys in the furnace. And I see four guys. And as it said, as only the VeggieTales can say it, he's real shiny. Whoever that fourth guy was, he was real shiny. Well, that fourth guy was Jesus. The pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It's the knowledge of that that causes us to greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The spiritual reality ushers forth a spiritual joy so personal and and so profound that it defies expression. In other words, there's, there's no words to describe it. If you wanted to Posted on your Facebook page. You just, you, just, you just don't know how to say it. You can't put it into words. And so what a blessing, what a joy to know that our joy as Christians is not dependent on earthly circumstances, but on the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's one more reason to smile in this text while we suffer here on this earth. One more blessing that we enjoy and that is we have a confident expectation of ultimate deliverance. We have a confident expectation of ultimate deliverance. Notice verse nine. Peter says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of of your souls. And obviously here Peter was referring to the ultimate outcome of our salvation. When we stand in the presence of Jesus Christ and receive our glorified glorified bodies to, to go along with our 
save souls. Again, the moment we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive the salvation of our souls. And as I stated earlier, we are presently saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we eagerly anticipate that day when we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And in heaven, there will be no more sin. And because there's no more sin, there will be no more tears, there'll be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there'll be more, no more disease, there'll be no more death. And we will finally be delivered from this dying body and this dying world. That's a reason to smile. And so these are all the blessings that every Christian enjoys and or will enjoy that provide us hope while enduring life and when experiencing death. The Bible says that if you're not a Christian, you don't enjoy all these blessings. In fact, the Bible says you're without hope in this world. But that, that could all change today if you're willing to love someone and believe in someone that you cannot see. And that someone is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth and he lived the perfect life that we all failed to live. He died the awful death that we all deserve to die. And after being dead for three days, Jesus rose from the grave and went back to heaven where he sits at God's right hand. And now God offers forgiveness and eternal life to all those who turn from their sin and trust in Christ's death and resurrection as the only way that you can be made right with God and the only way that you can ever get to heaven. And so if you repent, if you believe in Jesus today, you will experience what it means to be born again to a living hope. All the problems in your life may not immediately go away. In fact, things may get worse. But while your life might get harder, it will also get better. Because you'll have the living Lord Jesus by your side to provide you help and hope no matter what difficulties, no matter what fears and anxieties, no matter what uncertainties that you may face in life. There's a great song that was written back in the early 70s by Bill and Gloria Gaither. It's titled, Because He Lives. And the chorus goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because 
he lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unbelievable, astonishing plan to save sinners like us from death and hell. To reconcile us to yourself so that we could spend eternity with you in heaven. And in the meantime, experience what the Bible describes as abundant life. Father, I pray specifically for those who might be watching today who have never repented of their sin. They've never placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation, and as a result, they have no hope. Or at least they've been living up to this point in their life without the hope that we as Christians have. Father, would you be gracious and merciful to them and grant them repentance, grant them faith today? I pray that they would cry out to you to have mercy on them, to save them from their sin, to save them from death and hell, that you would forgive them for the wayward life that they've lived to this, up to this point, and that they would commit their life from this day forward to follow and obey Jesus as their Lord and as their Master. Father, we're thankful that we have a reason to smile today. There's been lots that we've had to deal with over the last few weeks and there may be even more in the weeks ahead that uh, is gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, things could even get worse. But Lord, they can only get better for those of us who are in Christ, even if that better is heaven. And so, Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have because Jesus rose from the grave. We pray all this in his glorious, all-powerful name. Amen.